PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you study for hashtag EM life, which let's be honest, that's more important, right? One rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, and I'm joined today by the amazing, incredible doctor, PhD doctor, 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 Marlena Wisiski-Kuhn from the University of Cincinnati. Good to have you again. Hello. Happy to be here always. Yes. Uh, before anybody switches off the podcast, we're not talking about parasites today. No parasites. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, no horrible memories from um, ASAP for some people. Ultima and I were still reflecting on the nightmares we have from some of those episodes. So we appreciate, Marlena, the graphic detail that you provided. It's it's always interesting to me, so I'm sorry you don't <laughs> want to talk about more worms, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, so for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs, also on Facebook, which is pretty cool, or Meta, sorry, I keep forgetting that. Hey, so Dr. Hussein will not be joining us this time. I don't know if you heard, but our uh, recent episode we did was uh, poking some jokes at the uh, surgery conference that was in LA. Not sure if it was in LA or not, but we said it was in LA, so whatever. And uh, Dr. Hussein is on an apology tour, actually, uh, so he's touring the country, um, at different speaking positions and uh, talking about how much he values uh, trending lactates and cereal abdominal jams. <laughs> so, uh, as well as KUBs, uh, morning KUBs too, uh, as well as <laughs> other practices. So uh, we're sorry, Dr. Hussein, but um, that that's all on you, not us, not us. Yeah, thoughts and prayers oh. to you at thoughts this time. <laughs> if you uh, have some problems with your heart rate, we can always give you five of Matope, like the surgeons. <laughs> we're just gonna let it ride, let it ride. <laughs> Hey, let's do the STEM and talk about an awesome topic today. You know, it's one of those topics that uh, I'm frankly surprised we haven't done it yet, um, considering that we're a board review podcast. We've had a handout on it now for like three years, uh, but we haven't followed up with a podcast, but now we are. So here we are. So we have a 27-year-old female, G2P1, presenting to the ED with abdominal pain. She's five weeks since her last menstrual period. Vitals are normal on arrival. She denies vaginal bleeding. Her internal cervical oz is closed on your pelvic exam. Her serum beta-HCG is 700. Which of the following is true? Choice A. She has a threatened miscarriage and should return in two days for a repeat HCG quant. Choice B. She should receive an ultrasound. Choice C. She should be discharged with ectopic versus early IUP and return in two days for a repeat HCG and ultrasound. Choice D. She has an inevitable miscarriage. Dr. Wasiski-Kuhn, what is the correct answer here? The correct answer here is choice B. She should receive an ultrasound. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I, when I was reading this question, there's a lot of wordy answers. But we're going to get into that. First, got to plug our premium podcast, of course, um, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs but want a TikTok version of our podcast, and if you don't like TikTok, that's cool. I don't really like TikTok either. So if you like YouTube shorts, that's what our EM Rapid Bombs podcast is. We prepare you for boards and clinical practice. Don't waste your time studying just for boards. Do both at the same time. Unlike your 
other EM study resources. Our premium podcast is the only one that downloads to your favorite podcast player. So if you have a smartphone, or even if you just have a computer, which most people have nowadays, you can use Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other podcast player that's out there. EM Rapid Bombs downloads directly to your app of choice. You'll get multiple episodes to your feed weekly. So here's really, you know, the emphasis. You don't want to waste your time studying just for the test. And a lot of people that are studying for boards, you know, board season is coming up in the next month or so. And the problem is, is I hear the complaint, and I went through it too when I studied for boards, that you feel like you're wasting your time just studying for boards. And you feel like you're not learning as much. Well, we're preparing you for the test and life. You can sign up at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can also find the link at our main website, emboardbombs. So let's get into this. Marlena, why don't you introduce us into what ectopic pregnancy is, and we'll really kind of delve into the details here. For the record, we have an awesome handout on the website that goes into great detail about ectopics, but we're going to hit the highlights here and really cover some memorable information you just have to know. Yeah. So ectopic pregnancies are, at the simplest definition, an extrauterine pregnancy. The vast majority of them and what we usually think about are those that occur in the fallopian tube. That's about 96%. But other sites include like your C-section scars, ovarian, abdominal, and even something like the cervix. Failure to manage any kind of ectopic, whether it's your classic ectopic or heterotopic, is going to lead to significant morbidity and mortality in the patient. It's not something you can ever afford to miss. Yeah, it's one of those can't-miss diagnoses. I would say it is each genre or organ system... I don't know why I said genre. Each organ system <laughs> that is in emergency medicine has one of those, like, you can't miss this. Like, chief complaint, chest pain. You can never miss a STEMI, you know? Chief complaint, headache. You can never miss subarachnoid hemorrhage. It's unforgivable, pretty much. You know, like, that's the standard we're held to. This is probably, I would say, the number one gyne complaint that you cannot miss. You cannot miss an ectopic pregnancy. The problem is that a lot of them are missed, and we'll get to that in a second. But what are the main risk factors here? Because this is so weirdly tested on. I don't know why Pierre and Roche, like they, they have so many questions on this all the time, but let's just quickly sail through it. Yeah, this is another easy one for biggest risk factor. Don't think too hard. Biggest risk factor for a current ectopic is a previous ectopic. Hashtag Whoa. obvious. <laughs> wow. We're, we're here at Ian Board Bombs, we ask the tough questions, give you the tough facts. <laughs> so... Other major historical risk factors are going to be a uterine or tubal scarring that can happen either from surgery or infections. So if they've had a prior DNC or PID, um, advanced maternal age, smoking, and use of assisted reproductive techniques like IVF, especially for those heterotopics. Mm-hmm. Now, what about IUDs? Because we hear this a lot. Yes. So this is a really popular misconception. IUD mm-hmm. presence does not increase the overall risk of ectopic pregnancies. But a pregnancy with an IUD in place is more often going to be an ectopic one. Right. Same with tubules. Um, it's funny because of how the public has completely misconstrued this. And, you know, unfortunately, medical professionals learn this incorrectly, too that IEDs do not increase your risk of ectopic pregnancy. It's really important to emphasize that. Easy test question here for, you know, classic uh, pop epi kind of stuff, but it's just a fact. Cool. So the presentation here, you know, females are going to come in typically with vaginal bleeding, 
like three quarters of them. And there's no measured amount of bleeding associated with ectopics. It's not just like if you have some spotting versus hemorrhaging. Like there's no increased risk of either. So don't just dismiss, you know, spotting as a, a, no, a nothing complaint, right? It can range from scant to heavy. Same with abdominal pain. There's really nothing in the history that's going to help you here. It could be super pubic. It could be left upper quadrant. It could be right upper quadrant. It, it's sneaky. And it can be very generalized. And about over half of patients will have some type of generalized abdominal pain. Interestingly, about 20% of patients will have a rupture, which you're thinking to yourself, wait, that's impossible. Like 20%, like I would have seen, you know, peritoneal signs and they're often there, but sometimes the patients will just come in and they can still have, you know, the classic visceral sensation uh, early on from that rupture. And it could be so small that initially there may not be as much bleeding, may not be as much free fluid in the pelvis. And so they may not have that classic, you know, appendicitis, you know, rupture uh, of, of hollow viscous. So because of that, a frightening number of females could be asymptomatic when they come in. They could have a positive pregnancy test, and they may have like indiscriminate symptoms like maybe nausea or so. You know, symptoms typically start six to eight weeks after their last menstrual period, just like a pregnancy, right? Women may misinterpret this, of course, with a normal menstrual cycle, or, you know, they could also have typical symptoms of pregnancy. You know, they could come in and they maybe they've been pregnant before, or maybe they haven't, and they say, you know, I think I'm pregnant, or, yeah, this is just like my last pregnancy, breast tenderness, polyuria, nausea and vomiting, malaise, just general, you know, symptoms that could be attributed to anything. But the crazy thing is here is, and I want Marlena to go into detail on this, is how important it is that we should consider ectopic pregnancy almost all the time. This is one of those things that you just need to think about every single time a female enters your ED and think to yourself, do I need to be worried about an ectopic or not? And so it's not just vaginal bleeding or abdominal pain. You want to expand it. So when do you need to roll ectopic pregnancy out? Yeah. If this is a woman that is of reproductive age and really like have a pretty wide range of what you consider a reproductive age, this isn't just a woman in her 20s or 30s, like you need to go beyond that any of those women, you have to rule out ectopic. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to do a major workup for these patients, but if it's a female of reproductive age and she comes to the ED, you need to have an extremely low threshold to order a urine point of care pregnancy test. What are some complaints that you're thinking of you should always order a urine pregnancy test for? So classically, syncope, you know, lightheadedness or other near syncopal symptoms. Sure. Of course, abdominal pain, But then also think about nausea, vomiting, chest pain, and any GU complaint. Get those urine pregnancy tests. Even just like dizziness, get a urine preg. Yeah, there's other ones that we left out here, but like those are the classic ones that you want to think about. The big mistake I see a lot of the students and residents make that I work with, or even just other doctors, is that they'll say, oh, it's a urine pregnancy test, but they're not here for that. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll have them follow up. What What are the big questions you should still ask patients? Anytime there's a positive UPT, you want to ask about G's and P's. And Mm -hmm. I suggest phrasing this as, how many times have you been pregnant? Yes. You know, because not all pregnancies end in children. So make that as general as possible. You want to ask about history of prior ectopics, as we talked about, our hashtag obvious number one risk factor (laughs) for a current ectopic. Um, Ask about birth control status, like what they're on, how they use it, um, usage of any IVF or other assisted reproductive technologies, and then prior history of STDs, PIDs, and surgical histories. You know, speaking of pelvic exams here, um, going into that, you know, they should be performed, of course, in a patient that you're worried about ectopic or uh, a newly pregnant patient, but they suffer from a lot of issues, relatively poor specificity, 
sensitivity. This was one of those big things, Marley, I don't know if you caught this as when you were starting residency, that was like the big drama that was going on emergency medicine. There was like all these like dramatically titled articles in the EM foam world and literature saying, oh, the pelvic exam stinks, you should stop doing it. And there was all this talk like circling around saying like, oh, we shouldn't do pelvic exams anymore. They're not that good and patients don't like it, that sort of thing. Anyway, that doesn't matter. I remember I worked with an attending one time that I brought this up to him. I said, what do you think about the whole thing at, at, when I was at Wake? And he basically dismissed it and said, it's part of the physical exam, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, then you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> so your goal during the pelvic exam is not going to you know, sway you from probably further testing. That's not the point. The point is that you're assessing for the presence of bleeding, its quantity, confirming that the uterus is a source of bleeding, et cetera. Yeah. Let's delve into the diagnosis here, like workup, because I, I feel like especially when you rotate on OB, which all EM residents have to do nowadays, and as a student you did, when you look at ectopic workflow or an algorithm, you've probably at your shop have one of those at the you know, L&D triage or eval center. It, it looks tedious. It looks annoying. But let's just keep you grounded here. There's really only four steps here that you need to think about. So what are they? So first, we talked about confirm the patient is pregnant. Someone That's comes a good in. First step. Yeah. If someone comes in and says, I'm pregnant, you don't actually know that until you have a positive test in front of you. So right. if it's right. negative, this conversation's over. You can end the algorithm here. So confirm they're pregnant with a urine preg. Um, and then you want to think, is this patient hemodynamically stable? Which hopefully, if they were hemodynamically unstable, you're already taking steps to address that. But yes. <laughs> once you have your positive urine pregnancy test, this is going to change how you are managing a hemodynamically unstable patient. Yes. And, and by the way, if you're listening to us, and your patient's hemodynamically unstable, you should probably stop listening to us and go address that and come back and listen to us later. Like, how did you get this far into the podcast when your patient's <laughs> blood pressure is 50 over 30? Like, please, think harder. <laughs> All right, next step. <laughs> what are you ordering? So next step, three, order your serum HCG, your blood type, your CBC, and your CMP. And the blood type is often forgotten here, but you want to get the blood type in these patients for a variety of reasons. After that, you are going to perform your bedside ultrasound versus ordering a formal study. And that was the, the right answer for our question stem. If you remember the next step for that patient, she had a positive pregnancy test. You did your pelvic exam, and now it's time for you to do your bedside ultrasound. Sweet. Yeah, your goals of that are determining is this intrauterine or is this extrauterine or is this an ectopic pregnancy? You know, at our shop, we talk about making the right upper quadrant view part of your exam when you're doing like an, a transabdominal ultrasound on these mm -hmm. patients because if they have abdominal pain and you have a positive fast and a positive pregnancy test, that's going to change things too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Because when you have a young person with acute abdomen, your first two things are going to be you know, for a female, obviously. You're going to think appendicitis or ectopic pregnancy. I mean, like that's how it should be pretty much every time. Those are the two most common reasons that you're going to have an acute abdomen at that age. So uh, in the pregnancy test, obviously, is that first step that a lot of people forget about in acute abdomen, right? So Marlena, what are you doing in an hemodynamically unstable patient? Let's talk about that with a positive UPT. You hinted at it earlier in the coordination you do, but this is pretty straightforward, actually. Yeah. So hemodynamically unstable, you're already managing the patient. Someone rushes up to you and says their point of care pregnancy was positive. There's no palpable fundal height on this patient, or hopefully you would have kind of noticed that already. This is an ectopic mm -hmm. until proven otherwise. The workup's simple. You're going to send the labs we already talked about, including the type and screen. But do not delay performing your bedside ultrasound with the FAST to look for rupture, to look for ovarian pathology, intrauterine pregnancy. And you're probably going to need the transvaginal probe to do this ultrasound if it's like 
four to six weeks, and definitely if it's less than that. Otherwise, you're following your like aggressive resuscitation algorithms, your two large bore IVs, your blood products. Promptly alert your OBGYN consultants because ultimately these patients need a specialist to manage them. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk more about the ultrasound. This is where a lot of emergency physicians who don't feel comfortable with ultrasound get a little, you know, frazzled, but there's no reason to. There's really only three options that can happen. You get your transvaginal ultrasound. And by the way, you should never wait to do a transvaginal ultrasound based on your HDD level. Just go ahead and do it. We'll talk about why that is in a minute. When you get your transvaginal ultrasound, it's the best test to exclude an ectopic pregnancy. There's only three possible options that can happen here. Option one is that you see a gestational sac with a yolk sac or embryo in the uterus. That's an intrauterine pregnancy, and you're done. You, you know, there's nothing to do further. Ectopic pregnancies rule it out as long as they're not on assisted, you know, reproductive technology, and there's a risk of heterotopic. Uh, so in general, the vast majority of pregnancies are natural, right? That you're not going to have to worry about heterotopic pregnancy, and so you're done. Option two, you see a gestational sac with or without a yolk sac outside the uterus. Well, that's obviously an ectopic pregnancy, and then you're done too. You go ahead and coordinate care with OB, and, and that's an easy pathway. Option three, however, unfortunately, I think is the most common option. <laughs> it seems like, especially in my right. shop, no, no pregnancy is identified, and it's a non-diagnostic study. One of my pet peeves is that people see this, they, you know, they see the ultrasound, and it doesn't show anything, and they say it's negative, and that's the wrong answer. If you have a positive UPT, and you have a quote-unquote negative ultrasound that radiology calls, it's not negative, it's non-diagnostic. And that's because if no pregnancy is identified, it's likely because the gestation is too early to be visualized on ultrasound. And this is a pregnancy of unknown location. About 8 to 40%, that's a broad range, turn out to be ectopic. And so what you need to do here is coordinate with OBGYN and get very close follow-up. You can do serial measurements of HCG. You know, in 48 hours, they're going to remeasure that. And then they repeat the transvaginal ultrasound at the OB appointment. And that's pretty much what you're going to do here. Now, why do we mention earlier about not waiting for the transvaginal ultrasound? Now, Marlene, I feel like when you and I were in medical school, this was not taught. I don't think it's still taught. I think it's still like there's this weird thought in medical school that there's this weird cutoff, right? That, okay, if you if the original thought was this discriminatory zone, that this is the phrase that people use that's a level of a serum HCG above which one should see an IUP by transvaginal ultrasound. So for some reason, they've determined this level to be 2,500, for the beta HCG, and it's about 6,000 for the transabdominal ultrasound. Well, it's the, the big point here is that it, there's a lot of variation in HCG levels across pregnancies, and so they found that this is completely stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know how, how everyone has their little soapbox, mm-hmm. kind of like we do with abnormal saline? I remember my first EM AI, and I think it was one of the first days, and I, you know, thought I was really on top of it because I remembered the numbers for the discriminatory Mm -hmm. zone and I had a patient where it was relevant and I brought it up to the attending and it was their soapbox. And (laughs) I got, I think, a stack of papers telling me why it was stupid. I got a long talk about why it was so stupid. (laughs) And uh, yeah, now I totally agree and I get it, but I remember being so disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was how Marlena chose not to go to her residency. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wherever this place was, she did not rank it. All right. So (laughs) anyway, yeah, that's that's important to note that. So what we're saying here for your practice in the future, one, boards are never going to ask you this. Boards are not going to ask you like, 
okay, it's at this level, like, what are you going to do? And even if they are, I feel like boards are now mature enough in terms of their questioning that they actually agree with this, that if you're concerned enough, like this question stem, right? We had a 27-year-old female, and five weeks since her last menstrual period, she has abdominal pain, and her beta HCG is 700. If you were following the old guidelines, it would have said, yeah, see her in clinic sometime. However, in emergency medicine, we all know that it's our job to not miss these things. And so getting an ultrasound is a, pretty much a harmless test, a transvaginal ultrasound. And so getting that ultrasound, you might still see something that would determine, you know, a different pathway for treatment. All right. So then you're going to call OB, of course, depending on the ultrasound. If you see an ectopic, you're going to call OB. Or if you don't see anything and it's non-diagnostic, you should still call OB to get that rapid follow-up turnaround in 48 hours if you can. All right. Any questions about all that? All that makes sense. It all makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to our listeners too. <laughs> so can you summarize everything for us? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that we talked about. We're doing this live, by the way. Marlene is doing straight off the cuff summary of this whole topic. <laughs> so I'm going to be impressed to hear what she has to say. <laughs> so first we just talked about ectopics. They're extra uterine pregnancies. There's rare heterotopic pregnancies. And if you miss it, it's bad. The number one risk factor is previous ectopics. Remember that IUDs are not an increased risk factor for an ectopic pregnancy. Um, most patients are going to present with vaginal bleeding, but sometimes we just have generalized pain, non-focal tenderness. About 20% are going to present with rupture, but that's not going to be a reliable thing. Remember that women can have like normal pregnancy symptoms, normal menses symptoms, and this is why any female of reproductive age has to have an ectopic ruled out. So remember that. Then you, we talked about getting the urine preg. Are they hemodynamically stable? The rest of your workup, including the serum HCG, and the reason that's important is because it's going to be trended, not necessarily because it tells you anything about this discriminatory zone. Don't trigger anyone by talking about the discriminatory trigger. zone. Mm-hmm. Um, don't forget to order the blood types. And then do a bedside ultrasound. It doesn't matter what the beta HCG is. If you have a positive UPT and you have a female patient with any kind of complaint, you're going to confirm that this is intrauterine or otherwise you have not excluded an ectopic pregnancy, which remember we said you got to do that. Absolutely. Just remember that a, the, the HCG is an overrated test and a single HCG value doesn't prove or disprove anything in the ED if we have nothing to compare it to. All right, cool. Let's wrap that up. Another board bomb delivered. Thanks again for listening. Marlena, thank you again for joining us. Uh, thoughts and prayers to Iltfat Hussein. Hopefully we'll see him next time after his uh, whirlwind of an apology tour. And again, check out our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. You can check that out in the link in this podcast here or go to our main website, emboardbombs.com. Or you can type in right now in your search bar. If you're ready and waiting, you know, your fingers are on the keyboard. You're like, I'm ready. I want to look this up right now. It's emrapidbombs.supercast.com. Check it out. Sign up. We have a trial plan, 24 hours uh, for free, and you can download podcasts and see what you like in the 24 hours. Thanks again. We'll see you next time, Marlena. Good luck. On the flip side. See ya. (laughs) 